I was sitting here trying to think of an opening line that's like really intelligent, but I'll just say, it's snowing! Yeah, guys, we're in the middle of a winter storm. It is like Charlie Day got into God's Coke and now it is just raining (laughs) down on all of us. It's like we never get snow. We never get snow in Indiana anymore when we actually want it. And now we're getting it all at once. Mm. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where Murder by Pirates sounds good. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are covering the 1987 classic romantic comedy adventure film, The Princess Bride. You called it a classic because it is a classic. The jokes, the memes, I can't eat, I don't know where to begin. And guys, once again, a film that I have never seen all the way through before. You've definitely seen some of the scenes, I know you have. I have. Because you're my little brother. Of course. But yeah, you have never sat down and watched this movie from beginning to end. First time. First time, and wow. Just some cursory thoughts. What was your initial impression? I was all set to begrudgingly watch this movie from beginning to end. And I thought it was going to be silly. I thought it was going to be stupid. No, it hit all the right places for me. I was laughing. I wasn't crying. I was definitely laughing. Uh, before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, in these chilly and turbulent times, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party. All right, you ready to storm the castle? I brought you a special present. What is it? It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. It was a time when life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what brings us together today. What? 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 I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. A courtly age of gentle conversation. I will always come for you. But how can you be sure? This is true love. Oh, no. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery, peril, and revenge. Prepare to die. There were affairs of state. I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. And affairs of the heart. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. It's a story of love. A tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. You're kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, ho-hum fairy tale. Like we said, this movie is fodder for so many references because it's such a well-known classic. This is sporadically parodied, referenced all throughout your pop culture lexicon. And like, it really, in a lot of ways, laid the ground for a lot of modern fairy tales that we got in the years after its release. Getting these 
fairy tale format with modern humor, I feel like this was one of the movies that laid the groundwork for that. And like the creators say, this is a story that honors storytelling. Exactly. And you and I, we're some sluts for some storytelling. We are sluts for some storytelling. I love it. I love it. And also, the late 80s. (laughs) It was a time. 1980s Carrie L. Les Ross. Are you ready? We'll talk about it. All right. We'll talk about it. So The Princess Bride was written by William Goldman in 1973. And William Goldman, William Goldman has a lot of credits for screenwriting and script writing. Like, he's probably written more things than you're aware of. He wrote All the President's Men. I know. Like, that is just a big one right off the bat. He also wrote Absolute Power. Yes. With Laura Linney. You love that movie. And Clint Eastwood. <laughs> he, he was a cons- he's been a consultant on a lot of films. Like, he is an uncredited consultant for Last Action Hero. Yes! And oh my god! He also, like, Goodwill Hunting, Misery, A Few Good Men. So, William Goldman has been around, like... He, he adapted Misery for the screen, which was considered to be, like, one of Stephen King's unadaptable novels. He wrote the OG version of Stepford Wives. Absolutely! From 1975. So he's got a hand in a lot of things we like. And then Rob Reiner, we've talked about Rob Reiner before. Guys, if it's Rob Reiner, it's probably really good. Yeah. You know what I mean? (laughs) I love Rob Reiner. In my opinion, just a master. Like, there's so many good things that come from the Rob Reiner think tank. Obviously, Rob Reiner is the son of very famous comedian Carl Reiner, Mm -hmm. who sadly just passed away this past year. God, 2020 takes another. So, guys, I mean, he's done a lot of really famous films. Like, this is Spinal Tap. That was his first movie. It was one of the only things he had under his belt when he set out to do this movie. Yeah, but before he directed this, he also directed Stand By Me. Oh my god. And then he went on to do When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men, The American President, Ghosts of Mississippi, Story of Us, LBJ, like all of these amazing projects. I'm like... If it's Rob Reiner, it's me. Exactly. You know what I mean? (laughs) I think you and Rob Reiner would get along very well. I think we would, too. I'd like to think so. (laughs) This film was shot mostly on location, Mm. if you can believe it or not. Mm -hmm. We Mm -hmm. have a medieval setting where they were able to find most of the outdoor landscapes that they needed for everything in this movie. It was shot mostly in England. Like, the whole production was Mm. headquartered in Sheffield. Mm -hmm. And then the Cliffs of Insanity?! That's in Ireland. Anglo-Saxon porn. Yeah. <laughs> Location porn. <laughs> the- All right, folks. You guessed it. We have names. And guys, what a group of names we have. I love this cast. I know. It's so good. In his second kicking and streaming appearance, we have Mr. Carrie Elwes. Oh, my heart. Yules. Elwell? It's Elwes. Elwes. It's Elwes. Yule. Okay. You know him in things like Robin Hood Men in Tights. He's Dr. Gordon in the Saw Saga. Oh my god, he's in the bad 92 version of Dracula. <laughs> yes, he is. I can't deal. He also had a stint role on Stranger Things recently. He's in Liar Liar, a Christmas Carol, Ella Enchanted. Like, he's in a lot of fantasy things because of this movie. Exactly. He was also one of my first loves, just saying. Mm-hmm. Like, in this movie, Rob Reiner saw him in Lady Jane, I think, and decided that he was just gorgeous enough and classic looking enough to be West 
Wesley, which I think is appropriate because Wesley's got like this Errol Flynn flavor to him. Mm -hmm. Just this classic old movie hero. We have in her first and probably only kicking and streaming appearance, Ms. Robin Wright. The queen of your heart. I'm sorry. The president of your heart. The president of my heart. Listen, no. (laughs) Guys. So problematic. I have an affinity for House of Cards. I don't get it. Mostly because it's it's great theater. Yeah. It's just great theater. There's no one to root for on that show. Oh, it's, it's all bad, all evil, all the time. It's awful. But I love Claire Underwood. Oh, she's... Oh, my God! She, she makes me feel things and she shouldn't. I lied. It can't be her only kicking and streaming appearance. Why? Because we've got to do Forrest Gump at some point, right? That's right. She's grown up, Jenna, in Forrest Gump. She was a baby in this movie. Like, she's still soap opera song. Yeah, this was like, yeah, this was like her big thing. This is the breakout role for her. Let's not forget she was in Moneyball, The Conspirator, Wonder Woman. She's Mary Surratt in The Conspirator. Oh, my God. (laughs) The woman who conspired to kill Abraham Lincoln? Yes. Anyway, you go, Robin. Not Mary Surratt, but Robin. Okay, we have, in his first kicking and streaming appearance... Mr. Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin, guys, you this is the movie he's most well known for by far. Oh yeah, 100%. You'll also recognize him from his stint on Criminal Minds. He was on Criminal Minds for the first two seasons. And then... Um, he's in Homeland. He's in Homeland. That's the other thing. I don't watch that show, so that didn't immediately come to mind. We mostly know him from Sondheim and Weber. Exactly. <laughs> he is like Sondheim's little star. He's a, he's a very accomplished Broadway star. He originated the role of Che Guevara in Evita by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yep. He, he is George Seurat in the Broadway production of Sunday in the Park with George, also by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Just the most beautiful singing voice. Younger than springtime am I, gayer than laughter am I, angel and love In his third kicking and streaming appearance, we have Mr. Chris Sarandon. And guys, remember Chris Sarandon? He was Jerry Dandridge in Fright Night. Remember when we did Fright Night at Halloween? Guess what? Can't watch him in this movie. I am frightened. He's been with us in Fright Night. He's also the voice of Jack Skellington when we did A Nightmare Before Christmas. Also a classic. Guys, in his first kicking and streaming appearance, Christopher Guest. You mean Jamie Lee Curtis's husband? Yes, I do mean <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. He is Rob Reiner's biggest fan. Is he? Yeah, like he. Lo- they work together a lot. He's a very famous comedian. Uh, Mike, if you're listening, I know that y'all are a Christopher Guest house, so I hope you're listening. A few good men. He's in This Is Spinal Tap, the return of Spinal Tap. And let's not forget his seminal performance in Night at the Museum, Battle of the Smithsonian. I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. In his third kicking and streaming appearance. Guys, we got a lot of people returning. Yeah. We got a lot of people returning this show. I like it. In his third kicking and streaming appearance, we have Mr. Wallace Shawn. He was with us when we did Chicken Little. He was the principal. And he was also with us when we did Haunted Mansion last Halloween. He's just a grating voice for hire, guys. And I, I love it every time. I could I could listen to him talk all day. <laughs> I really could. And I, I'd probably get annoyed. But like, you know, it's whatever. Guys, 
Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Andre the Giant Rusimov. Andre, I only know him from the Goonies Are Good Enough music video. I know, right? Because I don't follow the wrestling, especially not in 1970-whatever-the-hell. No, yeah, Andre the Giant was obviously famous for being a wrestler in the 70s and 80s. The only human, according to Rob Reiner, who could play the part of Fezzik the Giant. I mean, he's seven and a half feet tall. He's 500 pounds. William Goldman wrote this character with Andre in mind. Like, he used to go watch him wrestle at Madison Square Garden all the time. And, I mean, he was only 40 years old when this movie was made. He was gone six years later. I know. Bless his soul. Bless his soul. I mean, and when you have giganticism like that, most people who live with giganticism don't live to be very old. Yeah, they develop health problems pretty early in middle age. Mm -hmm. Robin Wright tells this adorable story of how his hands were so large that when he placed them on the top of her head, the heel of his hand would cover the back of her neck and his fingers would touch her nose. That's insane. I know. And when they would be outside, filming outside, and it would be cold, he'd put his hand on top of her head and it would keep her warm. (laughs) That's so sweet. He's the inaugural inductee of the WWF Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He's a legend. He's an absolute 100% legend. And I'm so glad he's here. I'm so glad he's in this movie. Because you're right. Literally the only human that could have played the role. And he just, he makes it exactly what it is. Like, he is Fezzik. Andre, we thank you very much. R.I.P. Rest in power. Rest in power, big man. We have, oh God, I never thought we'd have Columbo here. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Falk, everybody. Peter Falk. He's Lieutenant Columbo. Not in this. No. Can you imagine? (laughs) Columbo shows up to tell this kid a story. Obviously, he's known for his role as Lieutenant Columbo on Columbo. I don't know a lot of the other things he's in. Granted, his, you know, his body of work is not of my time, and therefore I haven't viewed a lot of it. In his first kicking and streaming appearance, please welcome Mr. Billy Crystal! Yay! I'm so glad he's here, even for five minutes. You know what I is honestly my favorite part of the movie, but Billy Crystal is usually my favorite part of the movie. You know him as the voice of Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc. and Monsters University. He's also he's in This Is Spinal Tap. He was a frequent host and cast member on Saturday Night Live. I say was like he's dead. No, he's still with he's us. He's still with us. He's also hosted the Academy Awards like nine times or something like that. Those are good years. We have in her first kicking and streaming appearance, Miss Carol Kane. Guys. uh... Guys, I know Miss Carol Kane from a 1976 horror film, When a Stranger Calls. Oh, my God. Yeah, because you really loved the remake when we were kids. The original Jill Johnson. Yes. In When a Stranger Calls. And Carol Kane, you know, she's mostly known for her comedic roles, such as this here in Princess Bride. Don't forget Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Guys, she's Lillian Kochstuper on (laughs) Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Rhyme and Dictionary. You haven't written the song yet? Action. The singing woke up the bat. That's my favorite episode with the bats where they're trying to shoot Titus's music video. <laughs> the singing woke up to bats. I feel like we're not capturing the elegance we discussed in the production meeting. <laughs> Me and you all the time. Oh my God, you're, you're Titus and I'm Lillian. You're the Lillian to my Titus. Oh, that's beautiful. Except I am not black and you are not Jewish. No, that is correct.
And then last but not least, we have tiny Fred Savage, who was all of 11 years old at the time. Yeah, these are the Wonder Years years. Sorry, I had to really it's think about that. It's actually one year prior to the Wonder Years. Oh, really? Maybe this catapulted him into the Wonder Years. Oh, my God. He's the voice. Carrie? What? Oh. Do you know who he's the voice of? Are you learning something right now? Do you remember a cartoon on Nickelodeon called Oswald about the blue octopus who had all the weird inanimate object neighbors and animal neighbors? He had a wiener dog. It was like a hot dog, but it was a wiener dog <laughs> yes. for a dog. And he wore a little top hat? Yeah. And he loved bananas? Yes. Yes. You remember? He's fucking Oswald, dude. What? I used to love Oswald. Oh my God. Fred. All right, folks, we've been talking about these people for way too long. Oh, yeah, way too long. You think we should get to the content? I should, but on that note, just before we get started, I'm going to say this. There's so many iconic bits in this movie. The whole movie's an iconic bit. You're not going to hear about everyone. We're going to try and hit the most well-known ones, because how could we not? But out of all the movies we've ever covered, if I had to recommend a single movie we've covered to watch, I would recommend this one. Because it's a timeless classic of love and adventure and loyalty. And And it's stupid. It's so silly. It's so funny. It's funny. I love it. We open in Evanston, Illinois in 1987. Mm, You know how. Yeah. (laughs) You know how we know it's the 80s? That ancient video game. What is he playing? He's just. I think he's just playing a baseball game. If it's famous, I can't recognize it. You know we don't sports. Yeah. That single joystick controller, my stars and garters. (laughs) It's like seeing a living fossil. And, like, Fred Savage, this little boy, he, he doesn't have a name. He's, he's just the grandson. He's just this cute kid. He's homesick from school. He's playing his video games, enjoying his time off. So mom comes in. 80s stock mom. <laughs> oh, no. So 80s stock mom is, comes in, and she's like, oh, yeah, you're not feeling so good. Guess what? Your grandfather's here. <laughs> And he's just like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm trying to relax, Mom. Didn't you tell him I'm sick? He's here to read to him. I don't think kid likes Peter Falk grandpa too much. (laughs) In comes Peter Falk, America's grandfather. So I guess we're just going to call them kid and grandpa. Yep, that's their character names. And 80s stock mom. Yeah. (laughs) So 80s stock mom, Peter Falk grandpa, and kid. Kid Savage. Ooh, my rap name. Kid Savage. (laughs) (laughs) Grandpa hands him a present, and he unwraps it. He's really excited because it kind of looks like a video game. It could be, but no. It's a book. (laughs) When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. So this is a generational story. Yes. And that's uh, what I love about that is that's also the appeal of Princess Bride in general. I mean, our parents saw it. They showed it to us. I'm very likely going to show it to my kids. Can you see dad and I sitting down for an afternoon to enjoy this together? Absolutely. It was probably one of the first movies we really enjoyed together. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. I love that. Because, guys, if you haven't been listening, we do get our love of the movies from our dad. Yeah. (laughs) This movie moves through the first part of this story very quickly. And that's how I'd also like to do it. Because we've only got so much time and so much to talk about. I want to live in Florida. Lauren with Buttercup and Wesley. Yes, you do. You're little by heart, right? Like if we, if I could just thruple up 
With Wesley and Buttercup, I'd be okay. The movie is located in Florin, which is a fictitious country. Ross has problems with this because... Oh, we'll get to it. Okay. We'll get to it. I have it down later. (laughs) All right. Okay, okay, okay. Buttercup lives on a small farm. Apparently, only Buttercup and Wesley live on this farm. Like, Buttercup's the owner of the farm, but Wesley is, like, her stable boy. A woman in her own right with a manslave. All right, okay, all right. (laughs) I'm kidding. I I have no objections. I I don't think he's a slave. No. He's so beautiful. I said he looked like he stank, but he's so pretty. I know. And, like, the only thing that Wesley ever says to her when she gives him a command is... As you wish. She's a little bossy. Farm boy, fill these with water. Please. As you wish. That day she was amazed to discover that when he was saying as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. So somehow, even though those are the only words he ever says to her, she eventually ends up falling in love with him. That shot with the sun... Oh, of the two of them standing in the field. And they're kissing. And I'm like, oh, and then, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> what is this? I love the kid. The kid's like, hold it, hold it. What is this? Are you trying to trick me? Where's the sports? Is this a kissing book? Wait, just wait. When's it get good? Keep your shirt on. Let me read. I don't care at all if it's a kissing book. (laughs) It's got no baseball in it. He's already bored. All right, Peter Fop, Grandpa, read on. Wesley goes across the sea to find his fortune so that they can get married. Wesley's just going to fuck off for some money. Okay. But his ship is attacked by this scary figure we never see called the Dread Pirate Roberts. Referred to as DPR in my notes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Wesley was presumed dead in the aftermath of that attack. And Buttercup is predictably devastated to the point where she says, I will never love again. Because what did he tell her before he left? I I will will always come come for you. And I love how she's like, how can you promise that or whatever? And Uh he's like, this is true love. Whenever he says that, (laughs) it makes my heart melt. I know. This is true love. Then we get a five year time skip. Allow me to catch you up. I'll do it really quickly. In the time since Wesley's death, the prince of the land, Prince Humperdinck. I'm sorry, what? His name is Humperdinck. Prince Humperdinck. Don't say it again. (laughs) I'm gonna have to. Prince Humperdinck, the ruler of the land, has chosen Buttercup to be his bride. He can just do this. Decide that one day he likes the look of that lady, so I'm gonna marry that one. Mm. He presents her to the entire kingdom, and you can tell she is dead behind the eyes. She is just going through the motions. Yeah, um, she's pretty much dead inside. Like, but he's the prince. What is she supposed to do? Say no? I mean, yeah, I guess, but like... Remember, hmm. women had less than zero choices. Buttercup's emptiness consumed her. Although the law of the land gave Humperdinck the right to choose his bride, she did not love him. So one day, Buttercup is out for a ride on her horse. Like, this is this very important woman, and betrothed to the prince, is all by herself in the woods without any bodyguards. Sure! And she comes up on these three people in the woods. We have a giant named Fezzik, that's Andre the Giant, with a sword bearer named Inigo, that's Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, Inigo. Oh, we are not going to fight about this yeah, for 45 it's, it's minutes. It's Inigo Montoya. Yeah. All right. Okay, yeah, sure. 
and this shrimpy bald guy in tights named Vizzini, that's Wallace Shawn. So a French giant, a Spanish swordsman, and a Sicilian asshole. Yes. <laughs> this is where I want to have this conversation real quick. Okay. Where's Florin? <laughs> like it's in, obviously not make-believe. Like, we, we have real places in this universe. Yeah. Sicily, Spain, and, well, he says Greenland. Yeah. But he sounds pretty French, so <laughs> just saying. They're asking her for help. We are but poor lost circus performers. Is there a village nearby? There is nothing nearby. Not for miles. Then there will be no one to hear you scream. Also, they gonna kill her? Yes, their plan is to kidnap her, make it look like a foreign nation did it, and start a war over the whole thing. I love Fezzik. I know. He's the best. Like, Fezzik and Inigo have some reservations about killing an innocent girl just to start a war. Yeah, Inigo. But they're both hard to employ. Like, Inigo's a drunk and Fezzik is a giant. Like, they can be a little hard to employ. So they need the work. And I love the relationship that Fezzik and Inigo have obviously developed Mm -hmm. as a way of coping with Vizzini as a boss. Yeah. Every time he turns his back, Fezzik and Inigo are talking shit about him. And Fezzik likes to make it fun by making a little rhyming game out of it. Fezzik, are there rocks ahead? If they are, we all be dead. No more rhymes now, I mean it. Anybody want a peanut? Yeah! It's moments like that that make this movie so charming. I can't not smile. We've transferred to a ship. Yeah, they're going to put her on a boat. They're going to row over to Gilder across the sea. And that's where they're going to leave her dead body. Where? Where's Gilder? I don't know, buddy. I, I just... It's across the sea from Florin. I feel like Florin is somewhere in the Mediterranean. <laughs> it could be. Like, I, I just do not know. Also, I'm strangely attracted to Manny Patinkin as Inigo Montoya. What do you mean strangely? It makes complete sense to me. Uh, okay, all right. If it makes sense to you. Swashbuckling rogue who would defend your honor. Absolutely. It's the dead of night. They're in the middle of the ocean and Inigo spots a boat following them. Mm-hmm. Like someone's clearly seen them with the princess and is now tailing them. But that's inconceivable. <laughs> I love that. Drink every time Vizzini says inconceivable. Absolutely. You'll be hammered. It's about this time that Buttercup decides that in the middle of the ocean, she's going to jump out of the boat and swim for whatever the closest shore may be. She jumps out of that boat and I go, where's she going? (laughs) But here's the thing. She doesn't know about the big nopes in the water. Do you know what that sound is, Highness? Those are the shrieking eels. If you don't believe me, just wait. They always grow louder when they're about to feed on human flesh. Okay, eels are bad enough. Yep. But shrieking eels? The noises they make. Uh, Nope, it's a big nope from me. That eel is coming after her. It's coming up to her in the water. And right before it gets to her, it cuts to Peter Falk Grandpa. And he's like, (laughs) now she doesn't get eaten by the eel at this time. What? The eel doesn't get her. I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. I was nervous. Well, maybe I was a little bit concerned, but that's not the same thing. Because we can stop now if you want. No, you could read a little bit more if you want. 
Do you love the disrespect for the fourth wall here? I do. I mean, it's not exactly the fourth wall because they are technically the fourth wall, the grandfather and the grandson, but I love how we keep breaking out of the story when the grandson interrupts. I love the bad cut of getting her back into the boat. Because Vizzini's like, listen, we can let the eels eat you, or you can just get back on the ship. There's just a shot of her getting grabbed out of the water right before the eel gets to her, and then we just cut to Andre the Giant just, like, manhandling her on the side of the ship. <laughs> like, we don't see her get back in, we just see her being wobbled on the floor by Andre the Giant. Well, you know, Andre the Giant, you would assume that because he's this big guy that he has a lot of physical capabilities, but... Because due in part to his gigantism and in part to his wrestling career, he had very bad back problems. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. So I'm, I'm not surprised that that cut is messy because he can't actually pick her up. The ship is still following them. I love Inigo Ego's, I wonder if he is using the same wind we are using. <laughs> Inigo, what does that mean? Yes, Inigo, we, we are using the same wind. By dawn, they've reached the cliffs of insanity. I live on the cliffs of insanity. <laughs> we are all living on the cliffs of insanity. It's this sheer rock face that is on the shore of Gilder. This is the part that's filmed in Ireland. That gigantic sheer cliff face that the four of them are now somehow going to have to climb. This is where the Brack problems come into play again because Andre the Giant has to carry all three of these people up the cliff face. Yeah, this harness job is so probable. I know. <laughs> <laughs> because Mandy, Robin, and Wallace are all in harnesses that are attached to his body, mm -hmm. and we're getting some close shots. And then for the far away shots, they used a body double. They get about halfway up this cliff when they realize that the boat that's been following them, the person at the helm has jumped out of the boat and is now chasing them up the rope on the cliff side. Very quickly. Yes, very quickly. Very <laughs> agile guy. It's this man in a black outfit and a black mask across his face. Very mysterious. What is his look supposed to be? I think he looks like Zorro. Or he also looks like, he also kind of looks like Douglas Fairbanks Jr. in a lot of his old movies. Yeah. And like, Vizzini's mad. Vizzini's mad that Fezzik is not carrying them faster. He's like in his face yelling at him. You were supposed to be this Colossus. You were this great legendary thing, and yet he gains. Well, I'm carrying three people, and he got them to himself. I do not accept excuses. I'm just going to have to find myself a new giant, that's all. Don't say that, Vincini, please. Don't say that, Vizzini. Please. <laughs> I love him. I know. I love Fezzik. They get to the top of that cliff and they cut the rope so that the man in black will fall to his death. And they look over the side and he's clinging to the cliff face like Velcro. He's stuck. So Vizzini tells Inigo to wait for the man in black to climb to the top and kill him when he gets up there. And he and Fezzik are going to take Buttercup and continue on the road to Gilder. This is where we start to get the impression that Inigo is an expert swordsman, to the point where he is ambidextrous. He can duel efficiently with both his right and left hand. He's like, I'm gonna duel him with my left hand so it takes longer. Because he like actually enjoys the fight. I mean, I enjoy it. <laughs> I know, right? When we get there. He's tapping his foot at the top of the cliff face and eventually gets so annoyed when he looks over the cliff. And like, we can hear the man in black speaking. It's Carrie Elwes. It's quite obviously Wesley. Like, I don't think that it, that was ever meant to be, like, a big surprise mm -mm. or anything. Because mm -mm. from the moment he speaks, it's obvious that it's Wesley. So we rope him to the top. And he gets up. I love how he takes his boots off. 
And I'm like, ouchie, all those Roxy <laughs> pours out of his boots. The thing that's pretty obvious about the difference between Vizzini and his minions is that Fezzik and Inigo have a sense of honor. Like, Inigo lets the man in black sit down and rest before they duel. Because it wouldn't be fair, right? No. No, that would not be a fair fight at all. And I love, love, love this scene. Because this is where we get Inigo's backstory. We stand, Domingo Montoya. Absolutely. <laughs> Mandy Patinkin shines in this scene. I do not mean to pry. But you don't by any chance happen to have six fingers on your right hand. Do you always begin conversations this way? My father was slaughtered by a six-fingered man. And, like, he goes into this whole beautiful story about how his father was an expert sword maker and he slaved a year over this special sword for a client. And when the client came to pick it up, he only offered to give him, like, I think a tenth of what he was originally going to pay. And when Domingo Montoya refused, the six-fingered man killed him. And it happened right in front of Inigo. So Inigo has dedicated his entire life to the study of fencing so that he could eventually avenge his father's death. I thought a Montoya was a kind of car. <laughs> no! For my whole life. Like a Toyota? A mi- no, not necessarily. <laughs> oh, a Toyota Montoya. <laughs> And here we go, guys, the famous line. I will go up to the six-fingered man and say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Classic. Like, top five easily most recognizable movie quotes of all time. See, I've always heard that line, like, always, but I'd never put it together. I had no idea where it came from. I just love what Mandy Patinkin brings to this character because he's so good. He's so good at it. And then on top of that, there's also this emotional business in it for him because Mandy Patinkin had recently lost his own father to cancer. Aw, really? Yeah. So he was able to pour a lot of that emotion into this character. Bless his soul. The duel between Inigo Montoya and the stranger. So they decide they're ready to fight. And when I tell you this is my favorite on-screen film fight, it is amazing. Are there better ones? Perhaps. But the stagecraft that went into this scene, I don't even know where to begin. We have amazing stunt coordinator Peter Diamond to thank for this fight choreography. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, we really love this scene. First of all, Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin killed themselves learning this fight choreography. (laughs) Like, practicing for this, you can see footage of it on the internet. Their fluidity and their movements, how nonchalant they seem to be when delivering these incredible blows. It's like water. It is! And then having to put the dialogue on top of that. You are wonderful! Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admit it, you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. And, like, they're so evenly matched. That's the thing. Yeah, they're basically bonding over their craft. Yeah, throughout the whole fight, they're complimenting each other on how well they fight. There's this moment where the masked man disarms Inigo, and Inigo does, like, some first-year gymnastics to get out of the way, and then the masked man throws down his sword, it lands on point in the dirt, and he does the same gymnastics with like a little extra backflip at the end and like lands right next to the sword. It's amazing. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. 
Get used to disappointment. I wrote, what a set to die on accidentally. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, ooh. Like I, I, like, I was watching their feet the whole time. Right. I was like, like the sword, the, the swordsmanship is great and all, but like, I'm just watching their feet. I'm like, I'm like, oh, watch your step, please don't fall off the set piece. Yeah, like, just to watch them go back and forth. It's like watching Errol Flynn go up against Basil Rathbone in The Adventures of Robin Hood. Finally, the masked man gets the upper hand, and Inigo thinks that he's going to kill him, but he just knocks him out. Like, he, he's, I think what he says is, I'd sooner destroy a stained glass window than an artist like yourself. They like each other now. Yeah, he's not going to kill him. Absolutely not. But he's going to incapacitate him. <laughs> so he knocks him out cold, and he gets back on Buttercup's trail. Meanwhile, Vizzini sees him catching up with them. Vizzini sees him catching up with them, and he instructs Fezzik to do pretty much the same thing. Stay behind, kill him when he gets here. Pick up one of those rocks, get behind the boulder. In a few minutes, the man in black will come running around the bend. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! I was not a sportsman now. You know what? He has his morals. He does! Fezzik has his morals. Vizzini takes off with Buttercup, and Fezzik's just sitting there, waiting to kill him with the rock. And here's the thing. This is the, this goes back to the honor thing, right? Because Fezzik's like, I don't want to just kill him with a rock. That doesn't seem very fair. And so when the man in black finally arrives, he's like, listen. We face each other as God intended. Sportsman life. No tricks. No weapons. Skill again, skill wrong. You mean you'll put down your rock and I'll put down my sword and we'll try and kill each other like civilized people? <laughs> I love it. That's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite lines. And so this fight goes about the way you would expect at first. Teeny tiny Carrie Elwes is not going to be knocking Andre the Giant off his feet, right? It's not my fault. I'm the biggest and the strongest. I don't even exercise. I know. (laughs) (laughs) He's so big and so powerful. And and in his personal life, Andre the Giant, he was so sensitive about that. And I'm like, but Andre, it's what makes you special, buddy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm getting weepy about Andre the Giant. Basically, what ends up happening is the stranger just kind of chokes Fezzik out. Yeah, that's really the only... The only thing he can do. He just gets on his shoulders and starts choking him out until he starts passing out from lack of oxygen. Meanwhile, Hopperdank, I still can't get past that. (laughs) I can't believe that is his name. Yes, it is. Hopperdink is on the trail. I guess Hopperdink is an expert tracker. Yeah, not that I give a shit. I mean, he always seems to be on the tail of them for the entire film. They're always two steps ahead of Humperdink, no matter where we are in the plot. We keep flashing back and forth between Wesley trying to catch up with them and Humperdink trying to catch up with them. I hate Humperdick and his fanfare. I know. I almost think his name was Humperdick in an original plot. But then and someone then, then pointed. Someone was like, "Can we just can we just put the N in there? <laughs> like, you know, like don't make it Humperdick, you know." This whole battle of wits thing with Buttercup awkwardly sitting there the whole time. Yeah. Okay. So this this uh, this last scene with Vizzini is also iconic because obviously Vizzini's not going to fight this guy with the sword. No. 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 We've had the sword fight. We've had the hand to hand combat. Vizzini's only real weapon is his wits because he's a pipsqueak. <laughs> Yes, yes, he is. And Vizzini has set himself up a little picnic. There's some fruit and cheese and two wine goblets sitting out. And he's just sitting there holding a knife to a blindfolded buttercup's throat. 
The man in black proposes that for this battle of wits, he's going to poison one of the two wine goblets on the table. He like turns around, he poisons one of them, then sets one goblet in front of Vizzini and one in front of himself. Where is the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. But it's so simple. All I have to do is divine from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet or his enemies? Vizzini goes on for a while here. Mm. I know. I'm so ready to be done with him. He's reasoning out loud why he can or cannot choose each goblet. He's going back and forth, back and forth. Reasons why he can't pick either one. SAT vocab for you. What? Tedious. Yes, it is very tedious. (laughs) Finally, he has to resort to that old distraction tactic. What in the world could that be? Oh, look, a distraction. (laughs) While the man in black has his back turned, he switches the goblets. They both drink, and the man in black is immediately like, eh, wrong. But Vizzini thinks that he got him. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. (laughs) He falls over dead. Like, just went from laughing to falling over dead. Ma, your people threw priests out of windows. Sorry, that's what that made me think of. (laughs) The Golden Girls? Yeah. (laughs) Turns out, both cups were poisoned. My God. The man in black has built up an immunity to the poison. I'm so glad Vizzini is dead. Yeah, you looked at me at that point and you went, is he really dead? And I (laughs) (laughs) said... Yeah, I did. I said, yes. And he goes, good. (laughs) Now the man in black has custody, quote unquote, of Buttercup, right? (laughs) She's his prisoner now. They start fleeing... Because the man in black knows that the prince is on their trail. And they stop to rest by some rocks. And this is the first time that Buttercup and the man in black actually get some face-to-face time. I have snippets of this from, like, as a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, but having it full-on presented to me was very refreshing. Like, the man in black, as we know, because we're smart people, is Wesley. And this is where he starts being hard on Buttercup about the fact that she's engaged to a prince. And she accuses the man in black of being the Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah. The guy who murdered Wesley. Mm -hmm. And he does not deny it. He's like, yeah, sure. I'm the Dread Pirate Roberts. I'm DPR. On the high seas, your ship attacked. The Dread Pirate Roberts never takes prisoners. I can't afford to make exceptions. I mean, once word leaks out that a pirate has gone soft, people begin to disobey you, and then it's nothing but work, work, work all the time. You mock my pain. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. She starts dragging him for killing her boyfriend, and he tells her the story, quote-unquote, of how Wesley pled for his life when the Dread Pirate Roberts attacked. He said, please, please, I need to live. I need to get back to my best girl. And he just keeps going on and on and on, and he's dragging her, and he finally looks her dead in the face, and he goes, Faithfulness he talked of, madam, your enduring faithfulness. Now tell me truly, when you found out he was gone, did you get engaged to your prince that same hour, or did you wait a whole week out of respect for the dead? You mocked me once, never do it again! I died that day! 
the drama. Oh my god. It's good though. I, right? I believe her. Oh shit. How do you not know it's him? I know. She even comments that his eyes were like the sea after a storm. Are we not all looking at the same pair of eyes? <laughs> <laughs> you have a very excellent point, sir. Like I you it's obviously him. Same with the repo man when we did repo. <laughs> How do you not know it's him? In Buttercup's defense, I will say that it has been 5 years and that she probably blocked out a lot of things because of the trauma. Also, Wesley, she thought you were dead. Yeah, he needs to be a little easier on her. Like it's like did you really not think I'd come back for you? Like, that's his whole affect. Yeah. Like, Did you really, you didn't trust me with this? And I'm like, stop. She gets sick of his shit finally and just pushes him down the hill. She's like, oh, you can die too for all I care. And what does he say, Ross, as he's fallen down the hill? You can die too for all I care. Oh. As you wish. Oh, my sweet Wesley. What have I done? She goes, oh, my sweet Wesley, what have I done? And she just throws herself down the hill after him. (laughs) Well, how else is she going to get down there? (laughs) Run down. Like, or slide down. I don't know. She literally just, oh, oh, oh. Like, they're tumbling one over the other over the other until they finally fall at the bottom of the hill into each other's arms. His mask has come off on the way down, so it's him. It's Wesley and all of his beautiful, hot Wesley glory. Oh, God, the acoustic guitar behind them as they comfort each other. I told you I would always come for you. Why didn't you wait for me? Well, you were dead. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. I will never doubt again. There will never be a need. Oh, my little heart! Wait a minute, wait a minute. Do we have to hear the kissing part? (laughs) Back to kid and Peter fought grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps getting mad at grandpa because grandpa is reading the yucky details of their makeout session. I love how Peter fought grandpa is like, well, listen, you might not mind it so much when you get a little older. Believe me, kid, you are not going to mind it at all. So now we have to go into the fire swamp. To escape Humperdick and all of his Humperdickness. Because they're closing in, and the only way to get away from them is going to be to go through the fire swamp. Because reportedly, no one who has ever gone into the fire swamp has re-emerged alive. It looks like the dark crystal in this swamp, There, it is so dark... And the trees are so tall and sprawling with all of these exposed roots. And, like, there's just fire just shooting up out of places. Yeah, this is a good place to talk about the three terrors of the fire swamp. Allow me to do so one at a time. First, we have the flame spurt. That's this thing where, for some friggin' reason, there's just this pop, pop, pop noise, and all of a sudden there's a flame spurt. It's like the ground is farting. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was some Chipotle now. Yeah, like the fire swamp ate a ton of Taco Bell, and now we're facing the consequences. Okay, let's talk about the second terror of the fire swamp, the lightning sand. This was one, when we watched this together, this was one of my favorite moments from you. I was just so shocked. Because she takes two steps away from him, and she falls into the hole. Like, very quickly. (laughs) Whoop! 
and gone. She falls into the hole, disappears below the sand. She just gets sucked into the ground. <laughs> I was not expecting it. I held my hand in my mouth. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> She's just gone. Bye. He goes in after her. He like levies up this rope, this vine. I don't know what he's hanging on to, but he jumps in the hole after her. And then... <laughs> You should have seen my face watching it when I saw this thing for the first time. <laughs> the third terror of the fire swamp, the I, R-O-U-S's. I wrote, I don't know what that giant rodent is, but I'm glad it gets dead. Fuck that thing. <laughs> Fuck them bugs. This human-sized rat I just, just crawls up to the hole and <laughs> he smells food. Food fell down in the hole. Yeah. And so he's sniffing it out. And then he wanders away in just the way you were like, fuck that thing. <laughs> I was like, no, no. Is that vanishing green? Because that needs to go away. <laughs> I love me a Futurama reference. <laughs> so it's a very tense couple of minutes while they're down there under the sand. You're not sure if they're going to resurface or not. This is just this vine sticking out of the ground for a couple of minutes before here they come, gasping and heaving because their lungs are full of sand. What the fudge? Buttercup is like, okay, that's me done. She's convinced they're going to die here. And he's telling her, no, man, no. We've already battled the flame spurt, and we survived the lightning sand. What else could go wrong? Wesley, what about the R.O.U.S.'s? Rodents of unusual size? I don't think they exist. It looks like someone just throws one of these giant rats from off screen, tackles him to the ground. Nope. He doesn't have a sword, so he's just wrestling with this thing on the ground. Double nope. There's a little person in this costume, which is a good move because it doesn't look like a mechanically engineered puppet, so the physicality of the fight isn't that weird looking. I mean, I don't think it looks real because it doesn't, but it is very practical and nopey. There's a great story about how they only had a finite amount of people who could actually fit into this costume. And one day they had to go get one of them out of jail so they could do the take. He'd been picked up during a traffic stop and Rob Reiner had to go down there and bail him out of jail so that we could get the take. I've got to get this guy in this movie. <laughs> He's the only one that fits into the costume. It's <laughs> hilarious. That's great. He's rolling around with this thing. It keeps overpowering him. Triple and, nope. And what eventually happens is he hears that flame spurt getting ready to happen. The click, click, click. And he rolls that rat over onto the flame spur and then lets it catch fire. I'm out of nopes. <laughs> he stabs that thing to death and, and that's it. They have conquered the three terrors of the fire swamp. But guess who's waiting at the end of it after having to not go through it at all? Prince Humperdinck. Humperdick is here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. From here forth out, he is Prince Humperdick. I just, uh... Wesley doesn't hand her over right away. Like, like Wesley would, he's ready to die to protect her. Yes. But like, but Buttercup realizes they're going to kill him. So she makes a bargain for his life. For the last time, surrender. Death first. Will you promise not to hurt him? What was that? What was that? If we surrender and I return with you, will you promise not to hurt this man? May I live a thousand years and never hunt again. 
So you guessed it, slimy Prince Humperdick is not going to let Wesley go back to his ship. Nope. He turns to his right-hand man. <laughs> oh, stop it. Oh, I'm oh sorry. you're absolutely fired. <laughs> You're terminated. Okay, I'm sorry. This is too many breaches of contract. (laughs) You're going to be unemployable in this industry. The reason that's funny is because Humperdinck's right-hand man is Count Rugen, who has six fingers on his right hand. (gasps) Yes. Ross, who's looking for the six-fingered man? Inigo Montoya. Because he killed his father. Oh, Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis, watch out. (laughs) He's coming for you. Count Rugen takes Wesley and traps him in the pit of despair. Wesley comes to with this albino character. This character doesn't have a name other than the albino. I'm just calling him Mel Smith. Yeah. (laughs) Mel Smith is basically here to tell us that Wesley is going to be tortured to death because he's cleaning his wounds when he wakes up, right? (laughs) So are you ready to talk about the machine? This whole electric torture thing is so stupid. You think it's stupid? Like, what are they doing? Like, it's okay. We've gotten Wesley nice and cleaned up, right? Mm -hmm. It's time to break him. Exactly. So, they bring him over to this contraption. Many spindles and wheels, and she will prick her finger (laughs) on the spindle of a spinning wheel and die! You know, like... Yeah, for medieval times, it looks pretty mechanically sophisticated. (laughs) And this this is something that Count Rugen designed. It's like, I think he describes it as the concept of the water pump. Yeah, but like, what is happening to him? This looks like they're torturing him via electrocution. I think what's supposed to happen is the suction cups that are on his chest are supposed to literally drain his life away. It's really silly if that's what they're trying to get us to believe. Yeah, no, I I agree, I agree. They're on his nipples. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. Hey, Count Rugen is very, very proud of this machine. (laughs) Mel Smith is shocking Carrie Elwes in the nipples. (laughs) It looks like it hurts. No, yeah, he turns that machine on, and he only turns it up to, like, the first level. And that's too much. It, it really and is. And there's 50 levels. Exactly. As you know, the concept of the suction pump is centuries old. Really, that's all this is, except that instead of sucking water, I'm sucking life. I've just sucked one year of your life away. What did this do to you? Tell me. And remember, this is for posterity, so... Be honest. How do you feel? (laughs) And he just cries? That's upsetting. I know! These people are psychos. The foreign government is the enemy of the people. (laughs) (laughs) We cut back to the castle. Butterkink. Butterkink. (laughs) I blended buttercup. You combined Buttercup and Umperdink and made Butterkink. <laughs> I have a Butterkink. Um, oh, so- guys, it's been such a long day. Prince, I'm so sorry. Prince Humpercup. <laughs> I'm sorry. You stopped me in my tracks on that one. Butterkink. Now Buttercup is back in Humperdink's custody. <laughs> At least I got that part out. Oh, my God. And she's feeling bad about what she did because she feels like she gave up on true love. She has that nightmare about being presented to the public as Humperdinck's queen. Boo! Yes! Boo! 
she comes out in her crown, and this old woman just starts giving her shit. So bow down to her if you want. Bow to her. Bow to the queen of slime, the queen of filth, the queen of putrescence. Boo! Boo! Rubbish, filth, slime, muck. Boo! Boo! that knows so much <laughs> who is this woman but we we realized pretty quickly it's a nightmare i wrote down the boo 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 dream <laughs> what she goes to humperdink and says do not make me marry you or i will kill myself Ooh. right <laughs> like she he, she is really laying it all out for him because at this point she still believes he actually cares about her happiness So he gives her a lot of show and tell. You write four copies of a letter. I'll send my four fastest ships, one in each direction. The Dread Pirate Roberts is always close to Florin this time of year. We'll run up the white flag and deliver your message. If Westley wants you, bless you both. It's obviously a bunch of lip service because there is no ship. Wesley's in the torture chamber. So this is just to get Buttercup to not kill herself because she's actually very important to Humperdinck's master plan. Because remember how Vizzini was going to start a war over her death? Yeah. Seems kind of random for a shrimpy guy in tights, right? A little bit. Like, why would he want to start a war? Turns out that Humperdinck was the one who hired Vizzini to kidnap his bride, murder her, and then pin it on the enemy country. Dun dun. (laughs) Guys, it was Chris Sarandon all along. It usually is, isn't it? Yep. You know who would have seen that coming? Hmm. Columbo. Oh. (laughs) It's odd. But when I hired Vizzini to have her murdered on our engagement day, I thought that was clever. But it's going to be so much more moving when I strangle her on our wedding night. Once Gilda is blamed, the nation will be truly outraged. They'll demand we go to war. So now we're getting closer and closer to the date of the wedding, right? So he needs to make sure that the wedding goes through as planned, no hitches. He tells his captain of the guard this lie about how assassins from Gilder are going to kill the princess on her wedding night. And because of that, they have to double, triple the guards around the castle. He tells the captain to empty the thieves' forest, which I guess is right outside the the kingdom. I guess. Like, I don't know. Is this just the place where the criminals hang out? I think this is where the Robin Hood people are from. I was just getting ready to say. I feel like this is on the next set. Where they're starting to do Robin Hood men in tights. You think it also doubled as Sherwood Forest? Maybe, yeah. (laughs) We jump to the day of the wedding. The brute squad, like this this squad of men that is specifically assembled to kick all of the thieves out of Thieves Forest. They're going through the forest. They're clearing people out. And this is where Inigo comes back. Yeah, Inigo. (laughs) Oh my god. This is where Fezzik and Inigo meet back up. Inigo is slobbering drunk. Yelling for an ounce of clarity. Poor Inigo. I know. This is where Fezzik, who has been put on the Brute Squad, comes up to him and just immediately abandons his post. Hello. It's you. Mm. Ah! Don't look so good. You don't smell so good either. Perhaps not. I feel fine. Yeah. 
Like, this is my man right here. Exactly. Like, he's here to kick him out. But as soon as he sees his buddy, he's like, oh, fuck that. We are partners again. Because they twins. I know. Their friendship is one of the best things about this movie. It's because Inigo actually cares about Fezzik. And Fezzik actually loves having someone around him who doesn't stare at him. It kind of reminds me of Shrek and Puss in Boots. Just a little bit. Just a little bit too much. (laughs) Just a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. So he's sobering Inigo up. Since he's on the Brute Squad, Fezzik knows about Count Rugen Mm. and that he has six fingers on his right hand. (gasps) Right? (laughs) I love your gas. (laughs) Listen, this has been 20 years that Inigo has been looking for this guy. My goodness. And so he's really jazzed. Now that he knows where the six-fingered man is, Inigo's going to make a plan to kill him. But he's like a count, right? Like they got to get into the castle in order to do this. Mm -hmm. Because only people that count are in the castle. Stop. Sorry, (laughs) you want to fire me? I get it if you do. Yes. All right, guys. Thanks, guys. Great doing the show. Inigo, now sober, decides that their best asset for getting to the six-fingered man is going to be finding the man in black. Remember, they don't know who Wesley is. They just think he's a masked man that was following them. Yeah, it doesn't matter to them who he was before. (laughs) He bested you with strength, your greatness. He bested me with steel. He must have outthought Vicini. And a man who can do that can plan my castle onslaught any day. Let's go. Where? Find the man in black, obviously. Well, you don't know where he is. Don't bother me with trifles. After 20 years, at last my father's soul will be at peace. There will be blood tonight! It's about this time that Buttercup figures out that Humperdinck was lying about searching for Wesley. Like, she can just tell. She can tell he's full of shit. What did she think was gonna happen? I don't know. She's a little bit naive. I think she thought she could trust him. He's quite obviously a psycho and the de facto ruler of this kingdom because his parents are too old. They are two feeble people who don't know what's going on. Wesley and I are joined by the bonds of love. And you cannot track that. Not with a thousand bloodhounds. And you cannot break it. Not with a thousand swords. And when I say you are a coward, that is only because you are the slimiest weakling ever to crawl the earth. I would not say such things if I were you. This makes him very upset because he sees that no matter what he does... He cannot make her love him. It's not that he cares whether she actually does. It's just like an insult to his manhood. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So he takes her and he locks her in her chambers. She's locked inside. Can't get out. He's all flustered and he runs to the pit of despair where Wesley is still strapped to that table, right? And this was the part you couldn't handle when he's like looking directly. He's like, he's looking at Wesley, but he's looking directly into the camera. It's that Jerry Dandridge look that I can't get out of my face. He's like talking through his teeth. You truly love each other. And so you might have been truly happy. Not one couple in a century has that chance, no matter what the storybooks say. So I think no man in a century will suffer as greatly as you will. And then he takes that lever on the machine and jacks the power all the way up to 50. He must have the tiniest peen, Humperdinck. To make Wesley suffer that way? Just the tiniest peen, like you can't even... Micro-penis. Shot to 50! I can't get over the screaming. Yeah, tortures him to death. 
He dies, guys. Right there on the table. And Fezzik and Inigo were like following the sounds of his screaming. This is the part where the grandson interrupts again because obviously they go down there and Wesley is dead down there. When Fezzik says he's dead, the grandson hardcore interrupts. He's like, wait a minute. Hold on, Grandpa. Wesley's just faking, right? Oh, that poor kid. He's into the story now. He's engrossed. He is invested. How many times, Ross, have we started talking about a stupid movie and then halfway through it, we are in it? Yeah. And so I so feel for this kid. And he's like, wait a minute. Who kills Humperdinck? If Wesley's dead, Humperdinck's got to die. Who kills Prince Humperdinck? At the end, somebody's got to do it. Is it Inigo who? Nobody. Nobody kills him. He lives. You mean he wins? Jesus, Grandpa, what did you read me this thing for? <laughs> he's like, all right, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here because this is making you upset. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. Just sit down, open that, sit the fuck down and open that book, old man. I'm on the edge of my seat with this shit. All right, Ross, we have arrived at your favorite part. Inigo thinks that if they take Wesley's body to this, uh, I don't know what to call him, an alchemist, a bullshitter, I'm not really sure, but this man named Miracle Max... <laughs> who lives in the woods and, you guessed it, performs miracles. So <laughs> we get to the home of Miracle Max, and Ross, go ahead and take it. I know you love this. Billy Crystal is a fucking riot in everything. <laughs> everything. What? What? Are you the Miracle Max who worked for the king all those years? The king's thinking son fired me, and thank you so much for bringing up such a painful subject. While you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? We're closed! I love this whole thing. He's so funny. The makeup is impeccable. Oh, it's fantastic. I love that you know it's Billy Crystal under there. It's the eyes. Yep. It's definitely the eyes. He's got this, like, old Yiddish man thing going on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're on the Upper East Side. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I can't. Or like we went to Brooklyn or something to find Miracle Max. They bring him into Miracle Max's and Miracle Max is like examining Wesley, all like poking at his body. <laughs> He's like, I've seen worse. <laughs> He's examining Wesley and determines that Wesley is not all dead, but mostly dead. Uh-huh. Like these are not medical terms, so I have no freaking idea what is that even supposed to mean. He's, He's like, like one of those doctors you go to after you've been shot in a bank robbery. Oh my God. Because you don't want to go to the real doctor because you'll get arrested. Right, right, <laughs> you right. Know what I, mean? I understand. <laughs> so what he does is he takes a bellows, which is one of those things that you like weave it in and out and it like blows air. Like it's, in a forge? Yeah, like in a forge. <laughs> he sticks this bellows in his mouth. Now, mostly dead. He's slightly alive. Now, all dead. Well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. Like, I think the bellows is supposed to, like, replicate the mechanics for, like, mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Don't even bother trying to analyze it. It's, oh, it's all, you know it's all BS. Regardless, Billy Crystal is pumping air into Carrie Elwes' mouth. This is where Carol Kane suddenly appears. Carol Kane is a fucking riot in everything, just like <laughs> Billy Crystal. She's playing Mrs. Miracle. 
Yeah. <laughs> what do you think her name is? I don't know. If he's Miracle Max, who is she? Nagging Nancy. Nagging Nancy? <laughs> because that's the caricature, right? We have the old Yiddish man and his long-suffering wife. Yeah, yeah. Who is always after him about some shit. To love. He said to love, Max. Don't say My another God. word, Valerie. He's afraid. Ever since Prince Humperdinck fired him, his confidence is shattered. Why'd you say that name? You promised me that you would never say that name. What? Humperdinck? Ah! Humperdinck! Ah! Humperdinck! Ah! Humperdinck! Stiegen! Humperdinck! Humperdinck! I'm not listening! Also, the makeup. I know! Like, it's too good. They are young people! Yeah, you'd never know. It's just, they disappear under there. And then Inigo gets an idea. This is Buttercup's true love. If you heal him, he will stop Humperdinck's wedding. Shut up! Wait, wait. I make him better, Humperdinck suffers? Humiliations galore. I did a lick all day, That is a noble cause. Give me the 65. I'm on the job. So Miracle Max throws something together, like a little chocolate-covered miracle pill. What the hell? It's supposed to bring him back from the dead. It could be cocaine for all we know. I'm sick of this. <laughs> you know the scene in Pulp Fiction where they slam the adrenaline into her heart? Like, that's supposed to be the effect this is supposed to have. You think? Yeah. And so... They leave Miracle Max's. I love it when they're waving goodbye. <laughs> Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Yeah. Fezzik and Inigo bring Wesley to the outside of the castle. They're getting ready to plan their onslaught. Wesley's still limp. Yeah. He's not fully alive yet. It takes, like, what, 15 minutes to work? <laughs> yeah, 15 minutes for potency. Yeah, and they're like, well, the wedding's in a half hour, so this needs to happen sooner than later. I love how they are immediately a little trio. Like, even though he just woke up from death and he's staring these two people in the face. He's like, oh, I remember you two. <laughs> I almost killed both of you. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But now they all have a mutual goal in common, right? Yeah, to I- fuck with Upper Dick. <laughs> Inigo's got to get in to kill Rugen and Wesley's got to stop this wedding. So they start throwing a plan together. We cut to the wedding and oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> You're too excited. This clergyman who is up there, you he just looks so regal. You think he's going to open his mouth and have the deepest, most enchanting speaking voice? Some some Christopher Lee shit. Yeah. <laughs> but folks, you've heard it before and now you'll hear it again. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. This guy takes too long to get to everything. Wow, this guy. Like, he just goes on and on and on in this wedding ceremony. Meanwhile, there's commotion outside because Inigo and and Fezzik have started their plan. What they've done is they've gotten a wheelbarrow and this big black cloak. They've put Fezzik in the wheelbarrow. I don't even know what the hell is happening here. I think they're just trying to spook the hell out of the guards because it's not like they can take on 60 men between the two of them, really, because Wesley's too limp to fight. Inigo's just pushing the wheelbarrow with Fezzik inside it, and Fezzik is putting on the spooky vibes. This is the definition of too easy. (laughs) My men are here. I am here. But soon you will not be here. No! Light him. The great Pirate Roberts takes no survivors. Also, this whole time, Wesley's just a limp noodle. (laughs) 
Like, this whole time. He's just laying on Inigo's back, giving vague instructions. <laughs> he's he's actually completely useless for the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's pretty great. Like, good gig, Carrie Elwes. You've done all the hard <laughs> stuff to begin with. Now you can just chill for the rest of the movie. Meanwhile, inside, Humperdinck is fast-tracking this ceremony because he can hear them coming in. He's like, oh, shit, shit's going down outside. He makes the priest completely skip the vows and just pronounce them man and wife. I mean, that's not a real marriage, but like, whatever. It's really not. Like, I don't care if he's the prince. How is that bonding legally? While Inigo Fezzik and a near-lifeless Wesley are just searching the castle for Buttercup, Count Rugen and his goons come up on them, and Inigo bests all of the guards, lays them all out, no contest. It just leaves us with Mr. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes. Sick. He sees that he's got six fingers on his right hand, and he says the line again, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And it looks like it's going to be all dramatic, like they're going to have it out right there in the hallway, and then Rugen just books it. Just runs the fuck away. <laughs> I'm like, you puss, where are you going? So Inigo goes after him. Inigo chases Rugen through the castle, and they end up in a dining hall where Rugen throws a knife and, like, stabs him between the ribs. And, like, he kind of, he's kind of playing with him at this point, because how would you feel? You've chased this guy your whole life, only to die from, like, a little dagger wound. Mm -hmm. He's bleeding pretty bad. I'm like, oh no, Inigo! Like, if this had gone down another way, this would be the most unsatisfying movie ever. low point. Yeah, it really is. He's just standing there, bleeding, trying to maintain his composure. For point five, I thought he was gonna die. I really did too. And I was like, "Mm -mm, no, this can't be the way. So Inigo finally, like, stands back up, and Rugen's like, I can't believe this bitch is still trying to beat me. (laughs) Rugen tries to stab him again, and Inigo just starts defending him with what little faculties he's got left. I love this, because every time Rugen goes in for a hit... Inigo counters him every time, and the the way the music and the sound design is synced up here is great. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. This is also the part where he repeats the line over and over again. Like It's what's giving his life force strength. I know. It's amazing. We stand, Domingo Montoya. My new deity, Domingo Montoya. He guides me. He gets Rugen pinned against this table, and he starts making demands. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. No! Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please, offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And then runs him through with the sword. Awesome. That is one of my favorite moments in film. Awesome. Just the way he looks him in the face. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And I love listening to... Mandy Patinkin talk about that moment. And in my mind, I feel that when I killed that six-fingered man, I killed the cancer that killed my father. And for a moment, he was alive. And my fairy tale came true. Oh, God. It's beautiful. And you know what Gavin brought up and something that I would totally throw money at? 
where is my Inigo Montoya prequel movie? That would be good. Like, that would be good. His whole young life, training and coming up to the point where he works for Vizzini. You watch. Hulu will be right on that TV series. <laughs> Do it! I will throw all the money at it. We go to the honeymoon suite where Buttercup is, no joke, preparing to kill herself with a dagger. Like, she's she's resigned to this because Wesley never came to save her. So she has no reason to believe that her life will ever be better. She gets out this real ornate dagger and poises it above her chest. She's just going to end it all right there. And then we hear Wesley's voice. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Wesley! Oh, Wesley, darling! He's just noodling in the bed. (laughs) He's just laying there. He just, he has no strength to stand. I don't know how he pulled himself to this location, but he managed to do it. He got into her chamber and pulled himself up on the bed. In Princess Bride fashion, she gets directly on top of him. (laughs) And is like, I thought you were dead. And then he's like, well, listen, here's the good part. Y'all skipped the I do's, right? Yeah, so she's not really married. And he's like, did you say I do? And she's like, no, I guess I didn't. And like, then you're not married. And she's like, oh my God, cool. Now who's darkening our doorway? It's Prince Humperdinck. Humperdinck is here. Humperdinck is here to throw his balls around, and Wesley is just as prepared to throw his balls around. This whole laying in the bed whilst taking him down emotionally instead of physically is so attractive. I know. I love this. This is my favorite sequence, is him just laying in bed, taking him down emotionally one peg at a time. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. Yeah, there's something about this eye contact in this scene, the way he's just staring at Humperdinck while he gives this long explanation of how he's going to make him suffer. He doesn't blink once. Oh, he doesn't. It's so unnerving. Love those Wesley eyes. Those (laughs) eyes like the sea after a storm. It's great writing. It is great writing. This is really great writing in this moment. And Humperdinck finally calls his bluff. He's like, I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. Then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. And he just slowly rises up off the bed to a standing position. And I love the way this is shot because Carrie Elwes is looking right into the camera, pointing his sword at us. Humperdinck's just like, okay, and then goes and sits down, and they tie him up. He's scared to death, wouldn't you be? Buttercup ties him to the chair, and Inigo arrives to help them escape, and Grandpa was true to his word. No one kills Humperdinck. Like, I just think that's great. I'm sorry, we should have killed Humperdinck? He's just gonna come after them again. You, You know what? You have a point there. Or do we have to spend the rest of our lives getting away from Jumperdinger? (laughs) Gavin made a good point about this, though. He was like, 
the reason this movie is so enjoyable is because the death is minimal, the honor is intact. And, and the nipple play is <laughs> on point. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't stop thinking about theoretically shocking Gary Elwes in the nips. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, to the tune of what, 50,000 volts or something? I don't know. Like, who wrote this? (laughs) Yeah, this makes so much sense. William Goldman, the author of the book, is in this interview, and he's like, Carrie Elwes, he was just so beautiful. (laughs) And so I'm sure he was in the screen. He's like, okay, we got to get nipple shocks in here. (laughs) We got to get this guy naked, tied up, and shocked in the nips. I totally identify. He says, William Goldman says in that interview that Carrie Elwes is beautiful no less than four times. I know. He was just so beautiful. So naturally, we're going to tie him up and shock him in the nips. Big mood. The throwing her out the window shit ain't cute. (laughs) Like when she's just like, they, she jumps out the window to get onto the horse and just this shot of her just falling sideways. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? A Calvin Klein ad? <laughs> What's happening? I love the shot of them riding away in that vast expanse. Oh, the mountains and the hills. And I go, I wrote, wait, you're going to ride right into that studio backdrop. <laughs> Watch out. It's so lovely, though. <laughs> So Grandpa's wrapping up the story, and he kind of cuts it off prematurely there at the end because there's another description of a kiss, right? Ah, you don't want to hear about this. It's more kissing. And the kid's like, well, Grandpa, I don't mind so much. And so I hate, I kind of hate this last line of the story. Since the invention of the kiss, there have been five kisses that were rated the most passionate, the most pure. This one left them all behind. And I'm like, what is that? It's like, can we qualify what the other five kisses were? Yeah, I want to hear about those other five kisses. And this is going to trump the... Why five? <laughs> well, well, it's very specific, seems so, Peter Falk Grandpa. Seems so arbitrary. S. Morgan Stern. <laughs> seems very... You're right, arbitrary. I love the way this movie ends because, like, kind of what we were talking about before, the way this story is generational... And it binds generations together through every viewing, every telling. And Grandpa's gathering his things. He's getting ready to leave. He's like, it's time for you to go to bed. And right before he leaves, the grandson stops him and says, Grandpa, maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. As you wish. You know what makes me cry? What? In the Oscars in memoriam where Peter Falk has passed away, when his face comes up, that's the scene they use. As you wish. Is the shot of him going, as you wish. And it's like, Peter Falk, this day to this day. And I'm like, ah! Oh, I might cry now. I cry! Oh, shit. God, I'm I'm doing that thing again where my emotion defies words. And it's difficult to put into words what this movie means to me because it just, like you said, it seems so silly on the surface it's a it's a fairy tale with modern humor but there's just something about its charm and the narrative that really strike a chord with you and it sustains it for viewing after viewing after viewing these lines never get old and so like in a weird way I'm kind of glad you hadn't seen it up until this point. I'm fine. I'm glad I've finally watched it now. Because, like, you know, Dad gave it to me, and then I get to give it to you. 
And it's that's the whole generational magic of it all. We are of the same generation. I understand that. <laughs> I'm trying to have a nice moment here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So guys, that's it! We did the Princess Bride! Inconceivable! Inconceivable! Thanks for sticking around for that. <laughs> We're done with different kinds of love stories. Yeah, February is finally over. We're heading into March. We've got some eclectic choices coming up in March. Mm-hmm. We're going to try and hit a few different areas. To kick off the month of March, we're going to be doing a movie that I've been pressuring Ross to do for a while. Again, our third selection that I have never seen before. Guys, we're coming back to Tim Burton next week. Oh, Tim, hi. Welcome back. Hi, how you doing? Hair still looks like that, huh? Oh, my God. All right, get a comb, buddy. It's not going to be spooky, though. It's not going to be the spooky Tim Burton. This is a different this is a different kind of Tim Burton animal to me for some reason. Next week we will be covering the 2003 fantasy adventure film Big Fish. Carrie Ann's been harping on me about this movie for months. It is a fantastic film in my opinion. She's been dying to show it to me and I, I'm pretty sure I know how my viewing experience of this film is going to go. <laughs> I'm pretty confident in it but we'll see. Until then guys follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com That's with an and not an ampersand. And don't forget folks practice the three R's rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to be able to join this watch party. More quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry Mom. Mom. Gossip news, gossip news, gossip news.